The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We turn our attention now to the preaching and receiving of God's Word from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. I invite you to stand as we recognize and acknowledge that this is the Word of God. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, A veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Father, we come now and ask, that you would teach us today, that you would unfold your word. Spirit, lead us into all truth. We pray and ask in Christ's name, amen. So I start with a few questions for your heart and mind. Can a world like we live in change? Can someone like me change? Can someone like you change? Is transformation possible? That, 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 that predicates then if you answer yes or no, even a yes, it all reveals what you really believe about God and what his word says. Jesus' disciples who had spent time with him when Jesus was interacting with the rich young ruler, they said, well, who then can be saved? 
And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this, that is salvation, is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The Christian faith, as revealed in the word of God through Christ our Lord, is predicated on change. Not simple, temporary change, but lasting, ongoing transformation. So here's the main idea this morning. That by the ministry of the Spirit, the ongoing work of glorious transformation unfolds in the lives of all who are in Christ. We begin by looking at the first paragraph here, verses 7 through 11, where we focus on the ministry of the Spirit. It's set up by verse 6, the very end. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul continues in this comparison by doing a lesser to greater comparison. He's comparing the lesser, the ministry of the old covenant or the ministry of death with the greater, the ministry of the new covenant or the ministry of the spirit. Verse seven. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, I'm not going to assume that you know what that's talking about. Moses' face and glory, what does that mean? So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses has been on Mount Sinai, meeting face-to-face with the Lord, he now returns with the Ten Commandments, with the law of God, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And that doesn't mean a one-sided conversation. The dominant converse conversation is from the Lord to Moses. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were what? Afraid. It's important you remember that. They're scared to come near him. Moses called out to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people came near And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. So there's no veil. Moses on the mountain, there's no veil. He comes down, there's no veil. He speaks to the people, there is no veil. It's when he finishes, he puts the veil on. Now let's see when he takes it off. When Moses went before the Lord to speak with him, He would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So the veil stayed off until Moses communicated with the people what God had said. After that, he put the veil back on until he was back face to face with the Lord. Now, let's go back to where we are 
in 2 Corinthians and reread verses 7 and 8. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, so that's the two tablets in Moses' hands, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory. So what did that glory do to the Israelites? It what? It scared them. It frightened them. Which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So here's the simple illustration. Don't make it hard. Paul's saying the law came with great glory, so much that it made Moses' face shine to such an extent it scared the people. But it was coming to an end. That's why Moses was veiling his face. But this ministry of life, the ministry of the Spirit, has even more glory. So he's saying the ministry of the Spirit is a greater glory than what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai. Verse 9. If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Now I want you to turn over to Romans with me. So let's, let's compare what he's doing here. The ministry of condemnation. If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation. So let's just Let's do simple interpretation here. Is he saying that the ministry of condemnation or the ministry of the law is bad? Is that what he's saying? No, it has glory. So if the ministry of condemnation has glory, what does that mean? Look in Romans 7, verse 10. Paul said, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. What does that mean? It means the law of God, though we can look at it as if if we keep the law of God, we get life. Here's what the law actually does for us. It brings death because here's what it proves. We're never going to keep the law. Now that's important and there's glory in that because here's what it's saying. You're not God. You're not your own savior. It is necessary for us to understand the ministry of condemnation. Now, the ministry of righteousness. Stay in Romans and go to chapter 3. The ministry of righteousness must exceed it in its glory. So the ministry of righteousness is doing something greater. Verse 21, Romans 3. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, the keeping of the law is not the means to righteousness. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, now here's where the law comes in, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the law proves to us, that we're sinners and we have come short of the glory of God. And here's what the ministry of righteousness does, that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his own, his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Has anyone ever perfectly kept the law? It's a trick question. 
Yes, Jesus Christ did. And this is crucial. This is why he was both God and man. This is why he was the incarnate Son of God. He was the only man who kept the law perfectly. And because he kept the law perfectly, he became our propitiation. That's a big old word that we don't use. It means on the cross, Christ bore the wrath of God for our sin because he was the sinless, perfect sacrifice. Remember what John said, John the Baptist? Behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. He's the propitiation. He's the one who receives it. So then in Christ, God is just in that his wrath is satisfied in Christ. So he has received and taken what we deserve, but it doesn't stop there. Christ took what he didn't deserve. He took our sin on himself, and then he gives us what we don't deserve. His righteousness. He is the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So what the law could not accomplish, Christ has accomplished. He is both just in satisfying the wrath of God and the justifier, giving us a righteousness not our own, his righteousness, and that is far more glorious than the work of the law. Verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. And we had a super moon a few weeks ago. Anybody go outside and see it? I did. It was beautiful, particularly when it was first there on the horizon. But the next morning, the super moon was overcome. Why? Because the sun came up. And the greater light overcame the lesser light. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that the law was bad. He's not, he's not saying that there was no glory. He's already said there was glory in the ministry of condemnation. He's saying that a greater glory has come and that light has overridden, has overshone the glory that was associated with the ministry of condemnation. Verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So the comparison of a glory that is faded with a glory that is permanent, and that is the glory of the ministry of the Spirit. Now turn with me to John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus in his last words with his disciples explains to them the coming ministry of the Spirit. He says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, Jesus just a few minutes earlier had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the message of the Bible, brothers and sisters. That the truth is that there is only one way to salvation, and that is through Christ alone. And it is the Spirit who guides you into all the truth. For he will not speak in his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what does he declare? He declares the truth, the truth of the gospel. And it is through the hearing of the truth of the gospel that leads to our salvation. The old being made new. 
the transformation of old to new. And it, it is the revelation of the truth, the ongoing revelation of the truth by the Spirit that leads to our sanctification, our ongoing transformation. So let's concern ourselves with that as Paul does in verses 12 and following. And we see that by the ministry of the Spirit, the ongoing work of glorious transformation unfolds in the lives of all who are in Christ. All, not some, all. So what does it look like? First, boldness. Now, boldness, boldness has become a bad word, at least when it relates to Christians. We're supposed to be quiet and shut up in this culture and respect everybody's opinion until their opinion gets loud and then they speak out louder than us. Have you noticed that the world's become far more bold than Christians? Now, bold's not rude. Bold's not taken to the street and crashing windows. That's not bold. Bold is, is speaking the truth. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That's the source of the boldness is the hope that we have in Christ. So we're not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So we don't cover up, we don't cower back, we don't treat this gospel which is permanent as something that is temporary. From this permanent hope, we are very bold. We are bold into the truth that Christ is the only way to salvation, that the law has been fulfilled that the light has come and we call the people to look to Christ and believe. So you got to ask this question, why do some people not believe? But their minds, verse 14, were hardened. For this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now, what is this veil? The veil is disbelieving the gospel. So what is it that they believe? What is it that when, when, when those trapped in the throes of Judaism hear the gospel, or not the gospel, when they hear the law of God, when they hear it read, what is it that they are ultimately believing? Not all Jews. Some Jews have come to faith in Christ and been completed in Christ. But what is it that they hear? Here's what they, here's what they hear. They hear self-salvation. If I keep the law, I can save myself. <laughs> They're functional Jews sitting in this room right now. You've been Baptist your whole life. You've been in church your whole life, and you believe the same thing. You believe you can do enough to earn your salvation. And as long as you believe that, a veil lies over your heart because in believing that, you are disbelieving the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was speaking with a lady after the 8 o'clock service this morning who is from Long Island. She's lost 17 friends and family members to COVID. 17. And with tears, she shared with me how she's been on the phone sharing the gospel with these friends and family members, and it's falling on hard ground. And she said, why is that? And I said, it's easy. They believe the same thing the Jews believed. They believe they're fine. They believe in self-salvation. But that does not mean that we cover up and veil over. 
I don't assume for a moment when I'm standing up here preaching that all of you are going to disbelieve. If I believed that, I would never preach. I don't believe in the power of you. I believe in the power of the gospel. I have a hope, and that hope makes me bold, not just here, but wherever. And that hope ought to make you bold. Bold because we believe this, that the Holy Spirit will remove the veil. He opens blind eyes. Unless God gives sight as well as light, we're never going to see. That means this. This room could be completely dark to you right now. It could be completely dark to you, A, because you're blind, or B, because the lights are off and it's pitch dark. Even if your eyes work and function in order to be able to see me, light has got to be on so that you can see. So both have to happen. Your blind eyes have to be able to see and light has to be shown. Whose work is that? It is the work of the Lord. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What do we sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. I just want you to ponder this thought today. Only the blind receive sight. Now, I'm I'm over 50, and I can't see anything now. (laughs) So I'm going to see the rest of this sermon. I'm going to put these things back on. That's correcting my vision. Listen to me. Jesus didn't come to correct your vision. Jesus came to make the blind see. He came to make the deaf hear. He came to totally and completely transform your life. You do not need self-improvement. You need Christ. You need total and complete transformation. And that only happens in the removal of the veil. Now, once the veil is removed, once we see Christ in all of his glory and we repent of our sin and we turn to him and we trust, then we have freedom to live for Christ. Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, Paul makes clear here that this freedom is a direct result of a person being unveiled. Now, this is not a freedom of autonomy. In other words, you're free to do whatever you want to do. If you you look at it in its context here of this light and seeing and the work of the Spirit, primarily this freedom is a freedom of communication. I now hear and see the things of God. I can now freely speak to God in prayer. I can come before Him. I am free now to live for Christ. Turn to Romans 6. Paul knew in the preaching of the gospel that people would twist it. And as he's explaining the freedom that is in Christ, in Romans 6 he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, hey, Jesus has forgiven you. Just do whatever you want to do. He'll forgive you. Paul says, by no means. Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You know what the answer is? If you've died to sin, you can't still live in sin. 
So if you're still living in the throes of sin, you have not yet died to sin. What does that mean? It means you're not yet a Christian. Because do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, now he's not talking about water baptism here. The water baptism is symbolic of what he means here. If you've been immersed into Christ, you are immersed into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. If you ever heard me do a baptism, I'll say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Now I have a question for you. How dead was Jesus? Completely. Some of you think you might be like my liberal professor that he was just snoozing in the tomb. He was dead. Now here's, here's the comparison the Bible is making. That when the veil is lifted and your eyes are open and you see Christ for who he is and you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ, you are raised from the dead just as Christ. And this to the glory of God. Now so that you can walk in newness of life. That's what transformation looks like. And let me say to you brothers and sisters living in 2020 in the United States of America, for those of you who have this new life to walk in, the walls of our hostility have been broken down. So when we sit here in this room today, we are not separated by race or class or political party. We are one in Christ. Let's act like it. Let's live like it. Let's live like it with one another and let's live like it in the world and let's give evidence that we are free to live for Christ. And this transformation, this transformation is ongoing because we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how is it that we are beholding the glory of the Lord? You've got to understand this whole text here together. We are understanding it because we are hearing. We are seeing because we are hearing. That hearing and speaking are encompassing this seeing. You say, I, I, I don't get it. Let's look in chapter 4, verse 6. Maybe it will become clear to you. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness. Now we have seeing going on here. Has shone into our hearts to give the light of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Unless that is shown to us by the word of God, through the spirit of God, we never see it. This is not some kind of subjective reality where you wake up in some dream and see the face of Jesus. This is about seeing Christ through his word. And it is the spirit who opens our eyes and our ears to see and to hear, to behold the glory of the Lord. Now, this is no longer limited to Moses. This is incredible. Moses, the hero of the Old Testament. It is no longer limited to Moses. All who are in Christ now have unveiled faces. We don't even have to walk away and put one back on. 
We are beholding the glory of the Lord. And here's what's happening. We are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Christ. From one degree of glory to another. Now, am I today like Christ? Not completely, but I can tell you this. I'm more like Christ today than I was 10 years ago. Not because I'm self-confident in Jeff Long. I have very little confidence in Jeff Long at all. But I have confidence in the Lord. And I can see evidence of how the Lord has transformed me from one degree of glory to another. We seem afraid as Christians to talk like this. We seem afraid to believe this. This is foundational to our faith. Do you believe that you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another? Do you believe that you are becoming more like Christ than you were yesterday? This is what God has called us to. This is the vision of the Lord's glory being transformational in our lives as we behold it. And we must never forget this. Paul ends with this explanation, this crescendo, this stamp. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Don't you construe anything I've said today is from you. I've tried to say it in 15 different ways but it's not from you. This is all a work of God. Now see, for some of you, that rubs your hair the wrong way because you want, you want some part of it. See, self-salvation's everywhere. We want a part. Here's the humility of Christianity. It's all of God. It's his work. This is what's so freeing about the message of Christ. It's his work. It's not ours. I don't bring anything to the table. Nothing. It is completely the work of Christ. So I ask you this question in conclusion. Am I gratefully acknowledging the, the ministry of the Spirit and the ongoing glorious transformation in my life? First in salvation. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, it says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That means you weren't intellectual enough one day that you woke up and did the math and figured out Jesus was Lord. It doesn't mean that your mother was eloquent enough in family devotion or your father to make you see that Jesus is Lord. It, does, it means that there wasn't a preacher like me who was eloquent enough to make you see that Jesus is Lord. Not one of you in this room who have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, not one of you did it apart from the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It should humble us and give us great gratitude that we understand that the initial work of transformation is a work of the Spirit. And it should humble us and make us grateful that this ongoing work of glorious transformation in our lives in the midst of real life is the work of the Spirit. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. I dare say that you've either, either quoted or liked or thought about in the last two and a half months, Romans eight twenty eight and following. It is a ready reference on the hearts and lives and in the minds and mouths of believers. But I want to put it in context of the paragraph today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
have a confession to make today. The last two and a half months have made me more acutely aware of my weakness than anything that I can remember. It seems like every time we think we've about got something figured out to move forward, we take three steps back. Like, for example, do you know that Friday the Supreme Court has overturned the rulings that governors can now say, I can limit your gatherings for worship? Do you know that? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to transpire. All I know is this. I can't do anything about it. Nothing. It's made me acutely aware yet again in the last 24 hours how weak I am. When's the last time you got an awareness of your weakness? For we do not know how to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep with words, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What do you do when you watch a man crush a man's neck to where he dies? What do you do with that? How do you pray after that? What do you ask God for? Brothers and sisters, this, this world that you're living in right now ought to make you completely aware of your weakness. You ought to find yourself groaning before the Lord, trusting that the Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf. And here is the floor that your feet are on or your knees are on or your face is on when you pray. When you're so weak, you can't even form words. Here are the words you trust in. We know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me tell you the greatest teaching moments aside from my time in the word of God studying that have happened to me as a pastor probably heard me say this before. It's been at the bedside of a brother or sister in Christ who was about to slip into eternity. It's watching for the last couple of days or hours that one degree of glory that God gives to his saints right at the end. When there's a level of trust, a level of faith, that you don't see anywhere else but there at that moment in the valley of the shadow of death, at that moment when they're trusting in the Lord. You sang it earlier. He's our guide. He's the one who leads us. He is the one who provides for us. He is the one who has saved and justified us, and he is the one who will glorify us. So are you gratefully acknowledging today the ministry of the Spirit and the ongoing glorious work of transformation 
in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering us today to sing, to preach, to pray, to hear, to receive. Now, Lord, may you be glorified as we sing as unto you and in a few moments as we depart this place, as you continue your work in the hearts and lives of your people. And Lord, I plead for those who came in here with veiled faces today. May you lift it. Those who are listening over the internet, Lord, may you lift the veil to see the glory of Christ that they would repent of their sin and turn to you today. Do your work as only you can do. We pray in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.